0: This is a Vanguard Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Gavin. And today we're super excited to be joined by a professor of law at University of California Hastings, Vina Duball. How's it going today, professor?
1: Thanks for having me. It's, it's going well.
0: Um, so obviously we wanted to talk to you about the ramifications of the passage of Prop 22. Uh, but before we get into that, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how I first came across to your work it was actually an essay that you wrote a while back called The Time Politics of Home-Based Digital Peace work. Um, And there's also an an excellent uh, condensed version, I believe that was published in Descent magazine that we can link to below because everybody should check it out. It was a great piece. Um, And in uh, that you sort of draw the comparison of women of the early 20th uh, or 20th century and the Gilded Age who participated in the piecework economy uh, to those uh, people today who are doing contracted work for Amazon, like data processing uh, at MTurk and you know, you aptly quoted Upton Sinclair's uh, The Jungle, I believe, at the beginning, you know, essentially underlining the fact that any of these, you know, New Deal era victories that were fought so hard for in the 30s have essentially eroded and now no longer apply to the modern day economy. Uh, I'm wondering if you could help articulate to people that the gig economy is actually much broader than just Uber and Lyft, which is what we might uh, commonly associate with it. Um, could you talk about how it expands far from beyond the service economy into big tech? in ways that we might not recognize.
1: Absolutely, and I'm really fighting against um, the idea of even talking about a gig economy because um, it's not a sector, it is a labor practice. And really, um, it could be any of our jobs right? Like anyone, any one of us could be paid through piecework. I could be paid through piecework. In fact, um, <clears throat> adjunct professors are, are in a way paid through piecework. Um, it is casual contingent labor. Um, but when we traditionally think of gig work, because over the past Seven years, we've um, people have adapted Uber and Lyft into their lifestyle, and um, and and the companies themselves have really embraced this term, the gig economy, to help um, define themselves and to pass laws that benefit them. Um, Uber and Lyft, it's essentially piecework. It's companies that are engaging in regulatory arbitrage so they don't have to pay things like the minimum wage, overtime compensation, unemployment insurance, and um, and workers' comp to the people who create value for the company. Um, it is true also that, and this is a, such a critical um, Piece of information that people who think about the so-called "quote unquote" future of work or technological advancements—all um, these, all these sort of buzz terms—they um, don't realize that the. Most of the time that goes into shifting technologies, particularly in the world of AI um, is done by, um, spent by people who are laboring um, as data processors. Those are the people who are uh, labeling images, who are sorting images, who, um, some of whom are, um, are are grabbing images from um, from different websites. Um, even the people that are collecting the images, And most of these people are being paid by the piece. So just like Uber and Lyft drivers are only being paid for the ride itself, um, the people who do this are only being paid uh, if they're if they're working via Amazon Mechanical Turk or a, simil- a similar similar. Um, similar company, they're only being paid um, for each image that they label and that they're being paid a fraction of, you know, of a sometimes a fraction of a cent or a few cents for every image that they label and it ends up um, amounting to, in the U.S., about two dollars an hour. Um, and because of the cultural competency involved in some of this work and the, um, and the English language skills, um, etc., this work is performed not by people, um, you know, just in the global south, but by people in the U.S. So, Um, AMT workers, Amazon Mechanical Turk workers are our home workers, um, many of whom are in the US and in India because because of the English language language skills required. Um, Again, and we know in the US that they're making uh, a third, less than a third of the federal minimum wage. So um, on average, about $2 an hour.
0: Yeah, and and I, I just wanted to extrapolate from there and talk about Prop 22. Obviously, you know, in We talked about in a previous piece for the Vanguard after Uber acquired Postmates as kind of a show of strength and and a consolidation in order to, you know, kind of push this legislation through at a time when, you know, uh, there was a lot of actual frustration even at the state level with uh, these companies because, um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, when we spoke, uh, you know, these are companies that should be paying into things like um, unemployment benefits and, and you know, things that taxes that should be going to the state so that they can take care of people when disasters like this one um, strike. Uh, however, when Prop 22 was presented, it was presented pretty much pretty narrowly uh, as a like, oh, this is going to be affecting Uber drivers. This is going to be right. affecting Lyft drivers. And obviously that was largely because of the $200 million that was uh, used in, um, you know, essentially peddling propaganda by these um, massive uh, tech firms. Uh, could you talk about how now that, you know, these workers obviously no longer have to be classified as workers, uh, that this will affect not just Uber drivers, but everyone else, and kind of what ramifications we have to deal with now that Prop 22 passed.
1: Yeah, um, it's, as I've said before, the most dangerous law that I've seen in my own lifetime, the most, da- most dangerous labor law that I've seen in my lifetime. And, um, I still feel, um, you know, sick to my stomach that it passed. Um, and before I even go into Prop 22, I just want to say to those who are watching or listening that, the system of, um, of employment rights that we have in the U.S. are so limited. They are really limited. Um, for many, many years, we've been fighting to raise the federal minimum wage. Um, we've been uh, fighting for something better than overtime compensation, something better than unemployment insurance, which is so hard to get. We have such a limited um um, array of regime of employment rights in this country, and that we're having to defend those limited rights is um, is is particularly gut wrenching. Um, and in California, what Prop 22 does is take away. All of the rights that workers have—the ver- these very lim- limited rights that workers have—and um, that to taking them away from the most uh, low-wage um, people of color workforce, so the most vulnerable and marginal workforce, um, taking them away, and um, and calling them something that they're not, which is an independent contractor. So independent contractors, independent um, small business person, typically you know sets their own prices, they decide when and um, when and where to work, they are able to sort of advertise and quote-unquote hustle um, to to make a living, Um, and uh, Uber and Lyft drivers, Instacart workers, DoorDash workers, Postmates workers, these people cannot do any of that. Um, Their prices are set by the companies, they are told when and where to go to to make a living, and those people are no longer paid, um, are not required to be paid by, uh, by the time that they work. So now you can legally do work in California. In these, for these companies, and um, and actually go home in debt, and it, and you are that's that's on you. The interesting thing, as you um, as you alluded to in your question, is that this does not just apply to Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and Instacart um, uh, workers. For the first time ever, there is a new category, two new categories of workers in California transportation network. Company workers and delivery network company workers. Um, and these laws were written such that new companies and old companies, in logistics in particular, um, can now be formulated to fit this definition, and those people no longer have to pay their workers um, um, a living wage. So, for example, um, if you are a warehouse worker and they do, they, um, they make it so that you are doing any part of delivery um, or any aspect of delivery. You are a delivery network worker that can be dispatched by an app and no longer get the minimum wage, no longer get workers' compensation and what is considered the, one of the most dangerous jobs in America. So if you're injured, you and your family are, you know, shit out of luck. Um, this really will give Amazon the opportunity, and I haven't heard anyone talk about this, but um, give Amazon the opportunity to really establish a monopoly hold in logistics, where they already are have a growing, um, a growing share of um, of the market. You know, the, one of the the Teamsters have you know have, have long represented um, UPS drivers, and FedEx has been the um, the big. Um, the big competitor for them and FedEx is, you know, this terrible company that is long in litigation against their own drivers who they claim are franchisees. Um, and what this legislation does is it kind of makes all of that go away. I mean, you can now, um, you can now just say that you have a delivery network driver, dispatch your workers by um, by app instead of, um, you know, instead of having to, um, to have a payroll and, there you go, They the workers are then bearing all of the risk and liability of business. It's so scary and so dangerous. And um, and it's it's gonna spread because what happens in California um, tends to spread all over the world. You know, Uber and Lyft started in California and within months, um, I, I remember in 2000, I think it was 2014 when I was talking in a conference um, in San Francisco Called a sharing conference. I don't know why they invited me, but I was critical of the companies and I thought people were going to throw things at me. Like there was such palpable um, anger in the room as I critiqued this business model. Um, and it spread very quickly. And no one wanted to hear any kind of um, any kind of criticism of what was going to happen um, and what eventually did happen. And I'm I'm worried that this is going to spread. Um, they're already working on federal legislation. Um, and now that is, you know, similar to what they got in California they're starting the same um campaign in New York i believe they're also doing it in Illinois and that's these are just the places where we know it's happening um and they have a blueprint for how to do it you pour 200 million dollars into an election you um you lie about what people to people who are who are voting on um on the law or to or to you know to the to the legislator and you um, you engage in a, a massive misinformation advertising campaign, and um, you harass your critics, and you get what you want, and that's that's American lawmaking. Um, so it's 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 quite um, quite frightening. Really, um, it keeps me up at night.
2: Yeah, that's that's super interesting. And um, something else that I wanted to get your opinion on, Professor, that I think is also another aspect of this kind of burgeoning online or gig economy type model or market that we really see emerging. And I think especially we see emerging during the times of the pandemic uh, is like the OnlyFans thing. And I feel like this isn't quite getting as much coverage as maybe um, it should be. But like I was just wondering how you would consider um, the OnlyFans business model in relation to other uh, you know, jobs like Uber. Um. Do you think it's exploitative to- um, Can you tell work? me
1: more? I'm not familiar with OnlyFans.
2: It's basically like the intersection of like um, sex work. Like people can just, uh, you know, upload like photos of themselves or videos and they get paid. Like it's like a monthly subscription thing. Uh, it's uh-huh. been really popular and like the pandemic and a lot of um, people- So if you don't know uh, much about it, that's cool. You don't have to comment on it. Can I just
1: look it up? It sounds so interesting. Yeah, You can can edit this out as I look it up. Um,
2: No, no problem at all.
0: Yeah, it's kind yeah, of it's like, essentially the cross between like Patreon and Pornhub, right? It's like yeah. you know, a lot of typically women, uh, you know, who may find themselves displaced because of the economy, or you know, just by their own, you know, choice if that was the case. But it's we've seen there's been a dramatic rise in people who have gone to this line of work simply because the economy has kind of thrust them to, and it would put them in the position of being gig workers. However, there's no real kind of organizing. There's no real. story. Yeah, of, they're like. I people. mean,
1: they're they're similar. They're content creators who are. Yeah um oh it's so interesting and so they get paid they like they basically it's like pa- patreon and so much as like you pay a monthly subscription and you have yeah, access to, to access all of their to, things
0: Yes, yeah. and then there's a fee taken by the
2: overhead company right and for a lot of That's, and for a lot of people i think it's like really empowering you know because they're making a lot of money yeah and they have to you know go to work yeah. at mcdonald's or walmart or whatever they can just yeah buy this way but as Zach mentioned, it's, I think it is driving some people to do that that might not otherwise have, you know, gone that route if they were, you know, able to get a good job or you know, receive a guaranteed yeah. income or whatever we might be looking for.
1: Absolutely, and the social and cultural implications of content creation and this whole sort of category of worker of influencer is really interesting because it has impl- um, has implications for um, how we uh, how we um, think about work and what work is and, um, and how that kind of thing um, can, should be uh, remunerated or what kind of um, safety net protections these people um, might have. I'm not familiar with on, on Fan. I'm not familiar with sort of the rules and regulations that they have or the ways in which the algorithms might influence um, who is um, getting more, you know, subscriptions or customers than other people. But for YouTube influencers, I'm sort of a similar situation. Um, for YouTube influencers, they have um, so many complaints with YouTube, so many complaints about how um, how they are able to monetize their um, their material and um, to the extent that many of them have gone from th- seeing themselves as these sort of independent, um, free, flexible um, creators who are small business people and who are hustling to thinking of YouTube as an employer as YouTube gets more and more controlling. Um, so it's not just, and in, 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 in Germany, in fact, there's a YouTubers union that you might be familiar with that is um, affiliated with IG Metall, which is the biggest um, biggest union in Germany. And um, I'm, again, I'm not familiar with OnlyFan, but I think that more people are going to this type of work certainly during the pandemic because it's taken so long to get their checks, um, for a lot of people who are already doing um, independent contractor work, like Uber and Lyft drivers, their checks are much smaller than they should have should have been as a result of how um, pandemic unemployment assistance has been um, has been calculated. And now we're all sitting in a situation where we're like, "Oh my God, is the stimulus another stimulus bill going to be passed?" And many people, I'm sure certain, are thinking um, are thinking really. Um, you know, creatively about how to, how to monetize their, whatever it is that they have in order to make money. Um, and um, I'm certain that, you know, there are really interesting, valuable, powerful things that come out of work like this. I'm sure if you interview some of these, um, some of these women that they, um, you know, maybe they identify as, as now as sex workers and that there's some, you um, Really empowering aspect of that, and they might feel camaraderie with other um, other types of, of sex workers or content creators or, or what have you. Um, but there are power dynamics between platform companies and workers who work on those platform companies, and um, and just because it's happening on the um, through the internet doesn't mean that those don't exist. They're just much more invisible. Uh, and so, like you know, someone like you or I who might subscribe to someone on on um, on OnlyFans. And we, like, we don't even know as, and the creators don't know, like, what are the algorithms that are allowing some people to be successful? and some people not to be successful and those things are shifting every day and um, because of the information asymmetry between the workers and the the algorithm, I'm sorry, the workers and the the platforms, um, it creates another really precarious situation where again you're not dealing with independent contractors because those independent contractors are so heavily dependent on um, the platform itself, the company itself.
2: What's your thinking on like a universal basic income or a guaranteed income to kind of mitigate some of these effects of people having to rely like really hardcore on their um, employer, gig based employer for things like healthcare or a basic? Um, You know, enough money to keep them afloat while they might be because, you know, on the surface level, it sounds like a pretty cool thing, you know, like Uber, you can set your own hours, you don't have to, you know, wake up at eight o'clock, you can take your lunch break whenever you know, and I've had conversations with Uber drivers where they talk about, you know, how they enjoy those. Aspects of the job. So I feel yeah. like, you know, there's potential for these companies and their business models to maybe be a little bit more successful in, uh, you know, a, with a more robust welfare state. But obviously, we also don't want to just offload all of the, you know, corporate responsibility yeah. onto the taxpayer. So just what's your thinking on that?
1: It's a great question. And it's one that I've struggled with a lot over the years. Um, and my two kinds of, um, my two the things that come to mind when I talk about the universal basic income are um, one that 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 the conversation often does exactly what you're saying. It offsets the discussion about um, about corporate responsibility. So you don't have to talk about companies paying their taxes. You don't have to talk about um, companies paying a minimum wage or overtime compensation. It totally displaces that discussion, and that's when it's all, that's when this conversation is brought up um, in in a regulatory capacity. When it's um, when it's you know when it's brought up in in California, it's often. And brought up by um, by tech companies because this is this helps their business model um, when when you know our my tax taxes um, increase so that um, so that there's a a basic income but corporate taxes don't increase and and of course like that's where that's where we need to be taxing. Um, getting, you know, we need to be taxing these these companies um, in in robust ways and, and helping uh, helping close the loopholes that allow them to not pay the kinds of taxes they need to be paying. Um, so that's one thing. Is that I'm I'm so worried um, that a UBI will make it so that companies like Uber and Lyft can say, well, look, we don't have to pay um, workers uh, uh, anything that their labor is worth because. Look, they have they have um, this income. I also worry about what it might do to the potential for worker organizing. Um, so, uh, you know, we're at a point in where there's like such um, such extraordinary inequality in the U.S. and all over the world, and um, and workers are going to play a big role in the coming years and and fighting back against that and. Um, and I worry about what a UBI might do to that, um, to that potential for social change. I also um, think that it might incentivize and, um, and make invisible the work of um, people, poor, the poor in the global south um, in so much as uh, if it is an if it is a true basic income, then um, then a lot of the the you know the most low wage work um, can be can be done by people elsewhere, and so that and then that really creates um, you know we already live in a in really disparate um, a disparate world, um, but it, it sort of exaggerates that, um, the sort of global inequalities and the way that work is performed and, um, in the industrial economy. So like on, on the face of things that I think it it is interesting and I want to continue to think about it. And I, um, and I do, do continue to have these kinds of, um, discussions with, um, with colleagues. Um, but I have, I have some real hesitations about in reality, what might happen um, if there if there if there is a, a UBI in the U.S. Um, and I, I know and then I, I and then I don't feel the same thing. Like I feel like there are ways to establish a social wage that maybe um, maybe gets around some of these issues. Um, I don't know but I do know that regardless of whether or not there is a UBI or some kind of social wage that they that the aspects of gig work that you're describing that people like I mean who wants a boss I don't want a boss that's why I'm I'm, I'm an academic um no one wants a boss. Like the existing employment system that we have in the U.S., the traditional employment system is oppressive. It is based in a master-servant relationship, and no one wants to be a servant. Um, and so one way in which they have avoided this in, um, in the gig economy, this, or at least made people feel more free initially, veteran drivers will tell you something very different about their, about, about their freedom and flexibility, but um, something that people really like, the control the you know alleged control over their time, which which I can I can um, dispute a little bit. Um, that is something that economists have found just in the last few weeks with studies um, that d- you know not only is it not tied to employment um, explicitly. Um, there's nothing about the law that says that you can't have a flexible schedule, um, but it also doesn't doesn't as a business model doesn't preclude employment. So. Um, uh, Michael Reich at UC Berkeley um, came out with a study that showed that Uber and Lyft drive in California could pay their workers a the minimum wage, offer workers' compensation. Continue to um, um, provide um, a quote-unquote flexible schedule, and I say it's not really flexible because um, they tell you at the beginning of the week when you need to work in order to make money. Um, they like send you this e- this email that says, "Oh, if you work in these, this is like this is when you're going to make money, and if you don't work in those times and you work at like two a.m., you end up losing money um, driving around." But um, but that it is possible, you know. There's um, really this like this dichotomy between flexibility and secure wages is, um, is an invention of capital. Um, you can have flexibility and secure wages and one of the things that I was really fighting for before prop 22 was to grow the panoply of protections for workers in the United States and create legislation that gave workers a right to their own schedule I mean the right to time that's what we all want is a right to control over our own lives if we live um, transnational lives we have families to take care of we want to be able to like leave work and take care of our sick kid if um, if we get a call from the school and not worry about getting fired in the process. And um, things like that are possible without um, getting rid of flexibility.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's 100% uh, accurate. I-, I think that, you know, this was all indicative of a, of a larger shift in business kind of that you were alluding to, especially in Silicon Valley, right? Uh, you know, in your uh, uh, paper, uh, you refer to a quote by Jeff Bezos where he's kind of boasting of h- the new humans as a service platform, right? As if mm-hmm. this is some sort of like thing to aspire to, and uh, you know, that kind of gives me flashbacks to my brief stint in business school and undergrad, and you know, professors, you know, sort of gleefully describing, you know, you're going to be your own brand, you're your own commodity, like, you know, this is like a something to ex- aspire to. This is the like this is the market of the 21st century, right? This is kind of the horseshit that they peddle you if you go to business school, and um, you know, to follow along this same lines you had a quote that said you know that this is um, representing a shift back to an earlier version of us capitalism that has been disguised by a rhetoric of technological advancement and innovation so i think that you're totally right in uh, the assessment that you know th- there are so many things that are tremendously beneficial to uh, these workers that uh, you know but it's also tremendously beneficial to the employees so or employers excuse me so i'm wondering how do we uh, you know leverage that power that these workers do have um, into creating a, a situation where, you know, it, uh, obviously under capitalism, you're not going to be able to perfectly escape this sort of exploit or exploitee dynamic, but how can we mitigate it to, you know, something that we're at least societally comfortable with on a broad scale uh, yeah. using the power dynamics at play here?
1: Yeah. So two things. Um, one, just to sort of respond to the, the earlier comments that you made. I often think like if people really um, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard when you're in a situation to really see the situation for what it is. Um, but, you know, I don't know where you guys live, but I live very close to Silicon Valley. and We're in Kansas City. Oh, okay, so um, I live, you know, I live in the peninsula, which is just in between San Francisco and Silicon Valley, and the dichotomy between the way that um, internal employees and executives live, um, versus how these workers who are creating the value for the companies that are actually doing the work live, is something out of a Charles Dickens novel. I mean, it is really, really And the other thing that
0: you notice, and I did, uh, uh, you know, uh, full disclosure, like I, you know, I worked at a startup for a little bit of time when I was in college and, you know, you get really like firsthand exposure into how fucked up capitalism can be, right? Because you have one dude who's like a bajillionaire and he's the boss. And then he hires a bunch of people that he pays 50 grand and, you know, 0.0025% equity telling them that they're going to get rich as soon as he sells this for a billion dollars. And then, you know, this is the whole startup, but then you're also, so you have a bunch of these people who are really doing the work and they're getting paid, like, you know, a pittance compared to the people who have all of the value, but then you also have a Another layer of employment, which is like you know, uh, techs in Lagos who are doing a lot of the you know um, you know cloud architecture and a lot of really complicated stuff. And these are people who are college educated and elite engineers, and they're doing work for you know essentially what I was getting paid at the as an intern for this company when I was there. And so it's all very stark and in your face. And yeah, it just
1: it's it's so messed up. I um I went to very I had a little taste of it. I um you know I have I went to elite schools and live a very comfortable life and went to um went and you know know people who work at these companies and um and I went to a industry like conference a couple of day conference that I was invited to although everyone was like very upset that I was there um and I sort of went as an ethnographic experience and um I, I largely left because people would not talk because I was there, um, but it was gig companies, and um, I have never. I mean, I again, I am very um, middle class, even upper middle class. I like live a very comfortable life, and I have never seen wealth like that. I have never I have ever seen wealth like that. And it and always
0: attracts greed of the same degree. It also. was just
1: so striking to me, especially because I spend all of my time my, I'm an ethnic ethnographer. So my methodology is that I spend most of my time with Uber and Lyft drivers um, and just the stark, difference in the way that people spend their time and like, um, I mean, just the, the amount of money that was spent on food and drink and the hotel and, um, you know, the hotel floors were heated and it was all so very nice. I mean, it was amazing um, and really like sort of gave me a window into how and to how um into how people What the kind of wealth that has been created by these workers, what it really looks like. Um, And in the meantime, I work with drivers who sleep in their cars, literally, who are, um, I have a a friend who's been, um, she and her partner, both of whom are gig workers, are hopping from uh, campsite to campsite um, during the pandemic because they they are both unhoused and haven't been able to uh, secure um, secure, uh, a... um, we're in a housing total disaster in the Bay Area, and they haven't been able to get a um, to get a home. And these these are people, also interestingly, who um, have have some education. Like they're not, you know, they're um, and and white, like a lot of cultural capital, and yet it's still very, very hard, increasingly hard for um, for working people in this country to just get by. Um, I don't know, you know, again, if you guys have, have been to the, to the Bay Area um, in the last decade, um, but things between 2000 and I would say 10 and 2015 just shifted dramatically with the influx of tech money and venture capital. And you're really seeing the results of that right now. So um, largely um, because we are in a pandemic, but also because we are living with such stark inequality in the Bay Area the homeless um, situation in San Francisco and Oakland in the East Bay, um, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. They look, it looks like, um, they look, it looks like I'm in Bombay, you know, along the highways, along, um, along the train tracks at like I, the the tent encampments around my university. Um, it is, their are whole communities of people you know, it's not just a few unhoused people here, or there are whole communities of people um, that are forming intent communities around the Bay Area. And again, this is directly as a result of, of these business models. I mean, um, I think you could, like, you know, you can draw, uh, draw a line from point A to point B in terms of cause and effect. Um, and yet we had Prop 22 pass, which just cements this economic situation. And I, like, I don't, it just, it doesn't take um, a PhD or years researching this to get it. There is a direct relationship between um, between workers being paid nothing and um, and the visual, the very palpable rise in inequality all around us. And it is, it's is—it's just like so striking to me that um, that people aren't enraged. Um, and your, your, I'm sorry, your other question, before I get to your question, um, your other question about like what we can do about it is like, organize you know certainly certainly um regulations and laws um you know i i i have a, I have a little bit of um of of a, an anarchist streak in me um but hey, i do, I've got do, david Graber right behind me yeah i do believe in um you know in regulation and laws and i think like that is the way to go but we didn't get ab5 in california because there there were you know well meaning legislative um decisions that were made. We made it because the workers rose up and it was not a coincidence that for the first time you had a, um, a, uh, a group of, people who were, um, the first in the U S, um, that were independently organizing, um, just Uber and Lyft drivers in California. They were, um, drivers themselves and, um, they were going really, really, really fast. And it was their direct actions. It was their strikes. It was their protests, It was all, you know, them marching to demand, um, higher wages and secure, um, a secure living that got that law passed. And, um, and the companies just, um, threw shit at them with Prop 22.
2: Yeah. Um, well, that's all the questions I had, Zach. Did you have any oh, anything else? Yeah, about? sorry. Uh, just one more
0: question for you. I, I wanna be sure that we uh, are respectful of your time. Vina, I just had a question about Massachusetts, which seems to be like the la- the next battleground um, yeah. for Uber and Lyft before we have you go, you know, Massachusetts passed similar legislation to California before Prop yeah. 22, essentially uh, shockingly demanding that Uber and Postmates classify their workers as workers. Yeah. Um, you know, however, as far as I know, you know, Uber isn't doling out vision and dental packages in Boston. So what allows these companies to essentially uh, give the laws the finger? Um, yeah. And, and just, you know, comp- especially in a pandemic when the tax dollars that the people of Massachusetts specifically voted on are so desperately needed. You know, uh, you look at uh, the week after Christmas is when all of the state, ex- uh, you know, unemployment extension benefits uh, expire. Obviously, the six hundred dollars expended long ago, but there's a lot of families that are relying on the paltry benefits that still do hang on. So I'm just wondering, um, you know, as, as a you know, as a law professor, like how, the, how, the, how do they manage this?
1: Well, I think that they just throw a lot of money at it. And unfortunately that's, uh, I mean, that's how, um, that's how laws work in the US. Um, they've thrown an incredible amount of money at, and when I say that they throw money, I don't just mean that they are like paying politicians. They are. They are. They, they, and in California, they did the same thing. If there was ever a politician that dared stand up to them in any way, shape, or form, we had a, um, a politician in Oakland, Rebecca Kaplan, um, who stood up and I think she introduced some kind of like small tax on, um, on Uber and Lyft just in Oakland. And they invested millions. Millions of dollars in her opponent. I mean, the they are. they did
0: with the city council race in uh, Seattle, right? With yeah, uh, um, yeah,
1: absolutely, yeah. I mean that. So they they go after anyone who dares try and um, and regulate them. They um, and and not just politicians, but also um, critics. So I'm sh- sure you have read that I like got they. They launched an investigation into me. I'm a public employee, and so they um, sent a public Re- records act request to my university act, asking for thousands of emails and text messages between me and 140 other people. Um, you know, there was a number of um, of really crazy articles written about me in the right-wing media um that I can I mean why would anyone write I'm like not you know I'm not like I'm Kim Kardashian I don't know why anyone would be interested in me but it's um it's you know it, I think i I I I can't directly tie it to these companies but it, it, it makes sense that that they would be motivated to do stuff like that I mean they just um they throw they throw money um every way they can to get their way it's like i mean it's sleazy and it's um it's gross and what's even weirder is that they've never made a profit so this is venture capital money that they're spending some of it is debt most of it is venture capital money and um and they still haven't made a profit throughout all of this uh, misclassification all of this um Regulatory Isn't that arbitrage. part of their game, though?
0: Right, they don't make any profit so that they can expand market share and also not pay any taxes.
1: Yep, yeah, I mean that is um, that is definitely part of their game, um, but I don't see how they're going to get out of it. And yeah. um, unlike Amazon, was you know Amazon I think sort of pioneered this model and some famously pioneered this model in some way, and it was clear how Amazon was eventually going to get out of it. And um, with these companies, it's just unclear. You know, they their end end game was self driving cars, and Uber has. Famously divested from self-driving cars because it seemed like it was half a
0: century. If I'm not mistaken, right? That's kind of throws a fucking wrench in the whole. Yeah, I mean, uh, inning, Andrew Yang. That's what
1: that's what the 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 executives who are being honest are saying. Like that's what Volkswagen has been saying. Like you know, if you listen to Dara Khosrowshahi, he said, "Oh, like we're going to do it next year," but he also said we would have flying taxis by this year. So there's like a lot of um of you know, forgive my language, but just like a lot of bullshit that goes into um, goes into what these um, these people say I mean and I just uh, just because I'll just say this because it I think about it all the time there was a, um, a an interview that um, a live interview that uh, Professor Galloway and um, and another person did on a famous tech blog of of, of um, Dara Shahi during the prop 22 fight and right after he wrote that that Um, editorial that was full of crap in the New York Times and he was saying how he really wanted to do better for the workers and really wanted to just improve working conditions and literally two seconds later he said um, but you know we'll have self-driving cars in in, in three or four years and I mean that's not happening but um, that moving so quickly and easily between one lie to the next and having those lies be contradictory was just such a um, such a golden moment in um, in, 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 in um, tech interviewing. It was really, I, you know he didn't even, he didn't bat an eye. He just like literally went from one lie to another and no one noticed that it was, you know, the, the interviewers didn't notice that it was um, a, contra- these were contradictory statements. Um, but I, so I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with these companies. I, um, it's going to take, if they do eventually turn a profit, I think it's going to take, um, raising prices a lot mm-hmm. um, more than they have right now and which is always the case and continuing to exploit workers.
0: Sounds like the racket of the American economy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it was a it was a wonderful conversation and we're so grateful that you took the time to chat with us.
1: Thank you so much for your questions and for doing this work and um, and I enjoyed it. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thanks so much. Take Take we Bye-bye. really appreciate it. Have a great one.
1: Take care, bye-bye.